Good morning, Mike Broomhead. Good morning, Jamie. Oh, good morning, everyone. We appreciate uh, you spending some time with us as we get rolling along here from New York City. I'm in town for one more day as I'm doing CNN again tonight. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that later on with some of the topics we covered last night on the show. Um, and, and it's funny, the questions I keep getting from people that ask me why I would go on CNN. It's very funny to me, but we'll get to all of that. Uh, coming up at 9.05, an interesting conversation. The superintendent of public instruction, Tom Horn, will join us. He is proposing some changes to the ESA program, or what's known as the school voucher program, and validation and verification and things that can be spent. And so I'm interested to talk with him about what he thinks that will accomplish. But I'd like to start where we finished yesterday's show with the update of what happened in Mexico yesterday. A couple of things. The two survivors yesterday were brought, were led, and according to the experts, according to the media reports as well, they were escorted to the border and back in the U.S., I believe they're in Brownsville, Texas, but they were they were escorted to the border in a heavily armed caravan, uh, SUVs, police vehicles, 50 caliber machine guns. Um, and, and I'm kind of when I think about this, we're going to get into the details of the implications here. I still cannot get over and watching that video. If you've not seen the video um to me, the most harrowing part of this was how commonplace this appeared to people. Even if this were the police, I want you to think about where you are right now if you're in traffic, wherever you are in traffic. If a police vehicle, a marked police vehicle, GPS or whatever city you're in, if they pinned in a vehicle and opened fire on a vehicle and got into a gunfight, now there wasn't anybody fighting back in that car, but if they opened fire on a vehicle and you were in that traffic, What would you do? I would imagine you would get out of your car and run if you couldn't drive around them. How nonchalant the kidnappers were and how the people around this were just trying to get their car around it. I would have abandoned my vehicle and run like crazy the minute I saw rifles being shot at a vehicle. But the brazen nature of what these kidnappers did is still sticking with me, that this is an everyday occurrence. They are a de facto government. Um... But it is good news that the survivors are safe and back in the U.S. The family members of and, and, and Tay McGee and Eric James Williams were rushed to the border near Brownsville, Texas, Tuesday in a convoy of ambulances and SUVs escorted by Mexican military Humvees, National Guard trucks with mounted 50 caliber machine guns is the description. They were found just hours earlier in a rural area east of Matamoros. Um, And they were on their way to the Gulf Coast, known as Baghdad Beach, a Mexican state law enforcement official told the Associated Press. One good thing is that one person has been taken into custody. Um, This is a person in his early 20s guarding a small wooden house outside of Matamoros, where the cartel members held Americans where authorities detained him, according to the Los Angeles Times. They've not confirmed if this person, last name is Guadalupe, is involved in the cartel, suspected of killing the uh, the um, the two U.S. nationals, um, but according to officials, they have detained him, and we're going to find out more details. The families have spoken out about their shock in all of this, but when we get into the implications of what this means, there are now um, travel warnings. I, I mentioned yesterday what this does to commerce. The the three legs of the border issue: there is the border security issue, there is commerce and trade, and there is immigration, and the three of them are as independent. As our three branches of government, but they 
work together as much as those three branches as well. And when you have a security issue like this, you also then have an, a commerce and trade issue because people are not going to want to go. And I feel for so many people in Arizona who are defending Mexico as a beautiful place. I agree with you. But you know what this does. So I want you to hear uh, just a little bit as Kareem Jean-Pierre was talking with um, with Peter Ducey from Fox News. And uh, I want you to hear um, – this is a fairly long answer, but this is her being asked about the violence at the border and especially why is President Biden so comfortable with the, car- with the cartels operating so close to the U.S. border. This is interesting. Well, let's be very clear. Let me take on the drug part here, because since you brought this up, um, because of the work that this president has done, because of what we've done specifically on fentanyl at the border, it's at historic lows, historic levels uh, that we have been able to uh, record a number of personnel working to secure the border because of what we've been able to do. Seizing that fentanyl, uh, we've done it in a historic way. That's because of what this president has done. I just talked about 23,000 federal agents that have been able to be uh, Uh, that we've been able to hire and put at the border to secure the border. On top of that, historic sanctions going after traffickers and other financiers are helping disrupt fentanyl supply chains throughout their flow to the U.S. Um, Either the American perception is incredibly flawed and wrong or what you just heard is utter nonsense. And, you know, you can call it my political bias if you want, that fentanyl is at an all-time low, that we are seeing less fentanyl now than ever before. She, she used the phrase historic low. That's just not true. So I want to address this before we get into any other of her other answers that Ducey asked her. I was part of a panel last night, and it's one of the things we talked about on CNN last night. And um, there are Americans, uh, including Lindsey Graham, that are saying we should declare the cartels a terrorist organization. We should treat them the same way we treated al-Qaeda in in Iraq and Afghanistan, ISIS. Um, Here's the issue. Number one, we have a great relationship. We didn't have the same relationship with the Iraqi government or the Afghan government like we do with the government of Mexico. Now, Mexico needs to be a little bit more cooperative, but there's going to be a bigger issue because there's such a close ally if we think we're going to go in there and perform operations. But I also want to be smart about this. We understand that they are getting Chinese products to manufacture fentanyl to bring into the U.S., crossing our border, largely in the state of Arizona, that this is a huge issue. It is a huge moneymaker leading to the power and the control that the cartels have where they are in Mexico. It's helping them grow stronger and stronger every day. We all know that's true. We talk about the supply in America. If we didn't have the supply, we wouldn't have the demand. The other part of it is this. What is the U.S. government? It's so interesting that as a society, we have this attitude about policing that still permeates us that we want less of it. We want this. We want that. And yet we're demanding that the Mexican government, whether it's their military or their police forces, really hammer these drug cartels and go after them and clear them out and do what's necessary. Why are we not turning loose our law enforcement agencies here? And what I mean by that is if – and I don't want to get into the gun thing because then we're going to start having crazy conversations about gun control. But if there was something else besides fentanyl that was the number one killer of young people in the U.S. and this many young people were dying every day, every month, every year – 
in our society, there would be a concerted all-hands-on-deck effort to stop it. There are either Americans or people that are in this country uh, legally. There are some in here that are illegally, but we there are people that are citizens of this country that are helping to distribute this drug. There was another bust that just happened in North Phoenix. Twenty-something uh, thousand fentanyl pills um, is happening here. And if we're going to declare the cartels, and I'm not calling it a bad idea, but if we're going to declare the cartels a terrorist organization, well, then anybody associated with them, what would we do in this country if when we have somebody that's an al-Qaeda sympathizer, when we've had American citizens that tried to go overseas, whether they were going to Iraq or Afghanistan or Somalia or going anywhere in the world to train to become an al-Qaeda fighter, they are seen as a traitor to the U.S. So if there are Americans within the sound of my voice or, or that are out there actively Dealing in this poison, if we're going to call this chemical warfare, we're going to do all change all these terminologies to identify this horrible drug as the killer that it is, then we also have to be willing to take the same steps on our side of the border. Instead of calling someone a drug dealer, instead of putting somebody away for dealing drugs, what if we if we're going to call them a terrorist organization, if you have connections to one of the cartels in in Mexico? That's manufacturing and distributing fentanyl in the U.S. Are we going to treat them the same way we would if the FBI was watching somebody here in the U.S. that had direct connections to al-Qaeda and was planning an al-Qaeda-type attack here in the U.S.? Because that's the implication. When we say they should be treated like a terrorist organization, I'm not disputing. I'm not saying yes or no. But if we're going to do that and we have an expectation of how they're going to be handled in Mexico, how are we going to handle them here? If they are directly connected to a cartel with the fentanyl that they are dealing, are we going to treat them as a traitor to the U.S.? Is that going to be what we do next? Because if we're going to be consistent, that's exactly what we'd have to do. The impression the media gives and the impression you and I would get if we heard somebody around us was an al-Qaeda sympathizer or they were working with al-Qaeda on some kind of an attack. We would want them put away in prison for decades as treasonous if they were American citizens. Are we ready to do the exact same thing with this poison? And we better be ready if this is what we're going to do. There's going to be so much more on this throughout the day. Coming up in a moment, we're going to talk about the new political party called the No Labels Party. And uh, how is it going to affect Arizona elections? What is their platform? If we have that, I've got an intro video that's on their website of who they say they are and what they want. And uh, we'll see what they're going to be up to. We're going to talk about that coming up in a moment. Strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much. Appreciate you spending some time with the show this morning. Um, so much, so much to get to. Uh, I want to start with this brand new party. They're calling it the No Labels Party, and they've been making some noise. I pulled up a, whole, a story from the Hill.com, one from Fox News. The No Labels Party qualifies for the Arizona ballot in 2024, a centrist political party that has some Democrats concerned about the potential for its play is a spoiler 
in the ballot of the 2024 election. Arizona Secretary of State Adrian Fontes said in a statement on Tuesday, and I want you to hear a little bit of it as they talked with him on Arizona's Morning News. This is Adrian Fontes uh, talking about people's right and, and exercising the rights. doesn't matter what part of democracy you want to participate in. My job is to make sure that you're doing it within the law, uh, that we're facilitating it and making it as easy for you as a citizen as possible to exercise those fundamental rights. So the Democratic think tank Third Way criticized no labels in a memo released earlier on Tuesday, insisting it would only play a spoiler for Democratic candidates and does not have a conceivable way to win an election. Um, what is this an indicator of? I mean, that's a bigger story to me. So I went out, I looked them up. Um, I've looked at some of their descriptions. I looked on Wikipedia for what that's worth of what, what people are learning about them. But then I found their website. And I was able to uh, – there's a video. It's about a minute and a half long, I think it is, close to that. And it describes who they are. And I want you to hear a little bit of their description of an introduction of what this party wants to accomplish. I'm Ryan Clancy from No Labels, and I want to tell you all about what this movement is and what it is. This is a movement of people who believe in America. Not one person's vision for America, not one party's vision for America. We believe every voice counts. And for too long – too many voices have been drowned out, and we're going to change it. Okay, so I don't know how they plan on changing that. I will tell you this, that the the point of having different political parties or different philosophies, that there are people that are centrists that are understanding that they're willing to work, and I, I, there's a difference in what a centrist is. When And I will tell you that when I think about my political leanings, my political leanings are far from centrist. I have right-leaning, very especially fiscally, very heavy right-leaning. I'm a, a state's rights person. I don't think the federal government I think the federal government should be as small as possible. So do I respect somebody that says, of course, I'm going to listen? Um, it's interesting. I have been on panels for the last couple of nights on CNN, and I understand what they're saying here. And, and I'm, what I mean by that is I've been questioned by people in my own party. Why would you go on CNN? Why would you do that? Well, the reason why I do that is because they invited me. It is a national network that has said they want to hit, and so far they've kept their word that they are going to have, they want to have diverse voices on. They want to put on more conservative voices. And I'll be honest with you, they listen. Um, and they are polite, and everybody on the panel has been polite. And I've usually been the only one on the right side of the aisle on the panels. But when you have conversations, I had a great conversation yesterday with and it's just so you know where he stands. He, he jokingly called himself what he's considered the liberal elite. He is um, a lawyer. He went to Columbia for undergrad. He went to Yale for law school and he clerked. I believe he clerked for Merrick Garland. I mean, you don't get much more liberal than that. And we stood in the green room and we talked for about 15 minutes and had a very reasonable, fun conversation about the country. If that's what this party is trying to accomplish, good for them. But we still need the political differences. The Democrats need to stand up for what they believe in and the programs and the policies that they believe in. And so do Republicans. What we need to get back to is, in the end, realizing what reality looks like. And I'll tell you what part of the problem is in a moment. But I want you to hear more of this. this is the first part of it was the intro. This is who they are. They're about all the voices being heard. This is what he said next. 
We are not carrying water for a specific candidate, for special interests, and we are not trying to create a third party. We're looking over the horizon at the 2024 presidential election, the most important election of our lives, and we share the same worry that tens and tens of millions of Americans feel. We worry the two major political parties might leave us with no good choices. We worry they might force us to vote for the least bad option. And this election is way too important for a least bad. So they say they're not interested in a party, but yet they've qualified for the ballot in Arizona. I think they realize they're going to have to do something like that. So what does this mean? Because a lot of what he said is why people have registered as independents. I think, I truly believe that both of the major political parties, I think the Republicans and Democrats, with all due respect to libertarians, Republicans and Democrats better start listening to the popularity of a voice that said we're tired of voting for the least bad option. And I think they better start searching their souls a little bit and saying these people are targeting independence. They are absolutely going after independence, and we need those independents. I'm anxious to see what how what the reaction is from the two political parties. Coming up in a moment, it's Gatos, of course. It's the BQ poll question of the day. We're going to get to it in just a moment. The Gatos Big Q Poll Question, brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. Hey, good morning, Gatos. Still in the Big Apple? I am. I am. Yeah, you're missing out tonight, buddy. It's horrible. Why is it horrible? What do you mean it's horrible? I had to leave the hotel this morning to come. It's about a two-mile ride to where I'm doing the show. Uh Uh-huh. It was 31 degrees, and the wind was blowing about 25 miles an hour. <laughs> oh, that stinks, I mean, man. You, you know when it's blowing so hard, you've got to lean into the wind to walk? Uh, uh, That's well, what I, so I had to walk about a half a block to get a cab. It was, ugh. You're talking to a guy who spent 22 years in the east, back of the East Coast. I yeah. went to Syracuse University. You ha- we had to walk miles in the snow, in the wind, in the cold to get to class, and that's why I stopped going to class. Well, <laughs> I, it's it's amazing. So yeah, I know tonight is a huge night. Yeah, you're missing the Suns game, my going? friend. Are you going? Uh, no, no, I'm not going. Um, unless I get uh, tickets in the next uh, couple hours, no, I'm not going. But uh, it's going to be good. How long has it been? How long has it been that there has been a game, a regular season game that for the Suns that's been this anticipated? Uh, maybe, um, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, when we got to go to games after COVID, you know, you just because so? we got to go. Yeah. Just because we got to go. That was a really big deal when you got to actually go back to a game because people were so happy to be around each other. Yeah. But in terms of the team, you know, a regular season game. Uh, you know, uh, in Phoenix, probably, you, you know, the first time Charles Barkley played for the Suns. Yeah, and I, I would say you're right. And the other part of it that I remember, I happened to be, I just happened to be at a Suns game when they introduced Shaq. Yeah. And um, yeah, that I just was never pretty thought amazing. Shaq was, I never thought Shaq was a big deal. You but know, he was, the introduction brought the house down. Yeah. You well, know? here's my cue. Kevin Durant will make his Suns debut at home tonight. Uh, sellout crowd footprint center. I think, A, the Suns will win their fourth in a row with KD. Uh, B, KD will score 30. C, the crowd will go insane. And D, all, all of the above. I'm a homer think, tonight. Yeah, I'll be in a above. very... 
Yeah, big, big homer. I hope that, you know, I'm, I'm interested in kind of what you said. I'm interested in uh, his introduction because that really should be off the hook because Suns fans feel, you know what? We're the team to beat. Yeah, We're not the, the underdog going in. Yeah. The attitude of this team is incredible. Watching Booker uh, in that Dallas Mavericks game and seeing how his game has been elevated too and how they're playing off of each other. Suns fans, and I'm not, a, you know, I'm, I like basketball. I don't love basketball. I am so yeah. happy for Phoenix Suns fans, for the generations of Suns fans that have waited for not just relevance, but a dominance. And they've got a chance yeah. at dominance right now. They do. They have a chance to win the whole thing. Uh, they probably have a better chance than they have in past years. And, you know, we're going to see if they can pull the whole thing together. But, you know, it's kind of win or bust. It's a title or bust. You got Kevin Durant. It's a title or bust. You go to the yeah. finals. You play great, but you lose in seven. It's bust. So got to win the whole thing. And tonight we'll see, we'll see what they look like at home. Yeah, and I'm anxious. To, I'm going to try to watch the game somewhere. I don't know where I'm going to be able to here in NYC. I'm going to have to find a place close by that maybe I can catch it. Uh, I'll make some phone calls for you. I have people. See what I you know can people. do. See what uh, you can I'll do make some phone. I'm on the horn. I'm on right now. <laughs> All right, Gatos. I appreciate it. See ya. All right, man. The Big Q poll question today is brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. You can go to KTAR.com. You can vote there and see how other people have voted as well. Coming up uh, just after 9 o'clock, what we are, what we are going to do is talk with Tom Horn, Superintendent of Public Instruction, about possible changes to the ESA program. That's the voucher program. All that's coming up here in just a couple of moments.